All right, well, it is uh, seven, a little after 7. I promised Alan I would have you guys in and out on time uh, this evening. Uh, so, uh, welcome. Glad you are here. My name is Cody. I am the pastor of the Table Community Church. We meet here on Sunday mornings right now because you are all so kind and gracious to us. Uh, so thank you so much for opening up that space and allowing us to do it during the summer. I'm sure I'm sure you all are looking forward to getting back to the morning. Um, I, I fully understand that. So um, thanks again for having me. I've gotten to know Alan over the last several months. Really appreciate his heart, his pastoral heart for ministry and his love for you all. Um, anytime we're sitting together, he's just he's in love with his church, and uh, I'm just uh, thankful for his presence and his friendship and. Thank you for the elders for being willing to flex with us as a as a church because we have been homeless for the last couple of years trying to figure out uh, gathering and life. And so you guys have played a critical role in our thriving and surviving. So um, on behalf of our church, thank you. And uh, helping, um, helping Alan out tonight so he can rest and rejuvenate is the least I could do. Um, so again, so thank you so much. Uh, again, my name is Cody. Christy and I, we've been in the Valley for about four years now, four years next week. Uh, the table's been going three years in October. Uh, we have three kids, a nine, an eight, and a one. Obviously, you can tell which one was obviously not planned. Um, and so we are relearning how to parent, and it's been wonderful. Uh, but just uh, so you have a little context for who we are. And um, would love to dialogue with you after the service and just hear more about what God is up to around here. So. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to Luke chapter 9. That's where we're going to hang out tonight, Luke chapter 9. We're going to pick up right where apparently you have been leaving off. Sounds like you guys are crawling through Luke. And um, it's a good thing because Luke is a powerful gospel. And so as you turn there, uh, tonight uh, we were going to have some worship. The worship was not able to uh, come. And so what I wanted to do was just open up just a minute of space just for silence we're a culture that speaks a lot says a lot and i think it's often good if we can just pause and listen for the holy spirit listen for god um maybe contemplate the last few days last few hours um the unsettledness that might be in your heart as you're sitting down this evening um and just bring that into God. You often hear, leave it at the door. Don't do that. Like, actually bring it in. Um, and so let's just take a moment. There'll be a little bit of music in the background. But just take a moment and just reorganize your heart and affections and thoughts towards God. And I'll close in prayer. And then we'll jump into the teaching.
we're not scared of the awkward silence. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you are among us. God, we just ask for your presence and your blessing over tonight's service. That those who are here and those who are watching online are just able to sense your spirit at work in their heart. I thank you for this faithful, loving, caring congregation. Would you bless them? Pour out your spirit in a fresh way. God, we just thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and jump into Luke 9, 1 through 9. In Alan's favorite translation, the CSB, it says, Summoning the twelve, Jesus gave them power and authority over all the demons to, and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead. Some said that Elijah had appeared and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. God, we thank you for your word. Unfold it for us by the power and presence of your spirit. We give thanks for the adoption that is ours in Christ. Illuminate this text for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of my week is spent with people. Um, I spend a good amount of my time sitting with people in coffee shops and restaurants in their homes at the hospital and all sorts of places, strange places at times, but I spend most of my time with people. And post-COVID, one of the things I'm frequently checking on is the posture, tone, condition, position of people's hearts. I usually begin by sitting down with them and just asking them, how is your heart and soul right now? Talk to me about that. And that's the only question I typically have to ask. And there's an unfolding of emotion, unfolding of frustration, unfolding of anxiousness, exhaustion. There's a sense where most people I'm meeting with these days are disconnected, kind of disillusioned, kind of going through the motions, hard to discern what God is up to in their life. And they just don't know how to participate in what God is doing. They don't know how to, they don't know how to find a, a fresh vision of renewal where they are. And that seems to be a universal thing when I'm talking with my pastor friends and I'm talking with uh, just people across the spectrum. It's just people are depleted, exhausted. And the idea of one more thing it just almost breaks us. But that's the reality. That's the moment we're in. And I think we'll see that more as we move on. And so I just want to ask you collectively, you don't have to shout out loud, um, 
But how is your heart and soul right now? How, what is the condition and position of your heart? And how do you feel God feels about you? It's really strange the, the answers that come on the other side of those questions. Some people say God, I mean, God might feel ashamed of me. He's angry that I'm not more involved. He's angry that I'm this. And we, we have these images of God. But what I want you to hear tonight is that God wants to renew you. He's always inviting us to a place of renewal. And it's hard to get there sometimes, but that's the invitation. And so my hope is that as we roll through this, that sense of withering that we have individually, corporately, will begin to feel renewed. Or at least give you a compass to move you towards renewal. That's my hope. And so if you're taking notes, I can't promise the slides are going to work. But if you're taking notes or you have your notes in front of you, the, the sermon title is Whispers of Renewal. Whispers of Renewal. When we look out at the world and we look within our hearts, we see that things are not well. We crave change. It's, it's, the, it's the tagline of every political movement, change, change, change. It's the condition of our hearts, change, change, change. But what I hope as we, uh, as we move through this text, that renewal, this idea of renewal, is that things are renewed, things change. Things are renewed when we are renewed. That's when things actually begin to take place. That's when things actually begin to happen. And so that's the main idea of the title is that things are renewed when we are renewed. And so just a summary of what we just read, this is kind of a test pilot group. If you've ever had a pilot small group, just to see how things would go. This is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. Okay, I'm not sending out the 72 yet. You're not quite ready. That's coming in a couple of weeks. Just you guys go out and just please don't break things. Like, just do the best you can. I, I give you all the power, the authority that I have to go and do these things. And, um, you know, these are, they, they've been gifted with what we call an apostolic office. And that's a different sort of thing than what we're gifted with today. We, give, we, get, we receive the gifts, I think, of healing and prophecy and that stuff. We receive those gifts but there's a difference between office and gift. The disciples had the office. And so I don't know about you, but I'm typically on my Tuesday evenings not going around casting out demons. It's not a normal Saturday or Tuesday at the Whittington house. Um, nor am I just wa walking up healing people at the touch of my hand. And so we have to keep this in context that this is an apostolic office. We receive these giftings today as the Holy Spirit leads and as the Holy Spirit gives. But this is a unique moment. And so what's happening is he's commissioned them, and Jesus risks his reputation um, on these disciples. They're put in situations where they have to be fully reliant and dependent upon God at every turn. Take nothing. Nothing. Just go. This is the mission of the disciples. But what's interesting is as they go about doing what Jesus says, they provoke the powers that be. This king-like figure all of a sudden hears whispers of renewal. And it's disturbing. It's disturbing. And so how do we as, as a church and as individuals capture this sense of renewal? And the, and the word is mission. We participate in what God is up to. There is no possible way to experience renewal apart from joining God in his renewing work. But again, the idea of mission, if I'm being honest, can sound quite burdensome for many of us. Many of you have been doing this a long time. And the idea of we have to participate in mission, that language is just exhausting when it comes out of my mouth. And I resonate with that and I understand that. But I want us to remember that Jesus' mission, he says, his burden is light. 
And so if there is a guilt trip for mission, if there is deeply rooted anxiousness that we can never get enough, then that is not the spirit of Jesus moving you on mission. Jesus says, my burden is light. It's not weightless. There's responsibility. But his burden is light. And so whatever Jesus is telling us to do is meant to lead us to renewal. And so that's what we'll find as we unfold this text again. And so what we're going to do is break this down into just a couple of scenes. The first one, if you're taking notes, the first blank is longing for renewal. This is answering the question, what does this tell us about our human condition? Why are things the way they are? Now, in this text, we often skip directly to the powers and miracles and ask questions about that. But we skip over the, the reason why they're, ne- why they're necessary. Yes, great, they're going out and doing all these healings and stuff, but why? We skip that part. Why? Because things are not the way they ought to be in the world. Sin has wrecked all things, and God is on a renewing and reconciling mission. In the text, we see that people need spiritual freedom. They're encountering sick people who need immediate healing. They're living in the land of bad news, of oppression, injustice, and marginalization, and political dominance. They're under the boot of Rome. They need these things, and so the world is not the way they ought to be. There is injustice, there's sickness, there's all of these unfortunate things as a result of sin. And so that's why they've been sent, to be a renewing presence in the world, to reverse what sin has been up to for a long time. And he's still about this business. And so what we see in our time is that these are still present realities and always will be until Christ comes and finally evicts sin out of the world. It gets an expiration date. It gets a you're done. It is done. It will be dealt with when Christ fully returns. And the way we talk about it at the table is hell has virtually infected earth. And what's going to happen when Christ returns is he's getting the hell out of earth. Literally. There is an, ex, there is an extermination, there is an eviction that's happening of all things that are, that, are, that are conspiring against God's goodness. That will happen. But we can look around right now and see that this is true. We long for renewal. We can just observe our culture. I'm hoping, I'm hoping the slides work. If not, just listen closely. But we long for renewal politically. 77% of Americans, this is the only thing we really agree on, cross political spectrums, agree that we are more divided than we were before. This is after COVID. We're the most divided that they say than, and that we've ever been in the state of the U.S. Well, at least we agree on that. 77%. 80% across spectrum say that whoever is in office, they should, they should deal positively with the concerns of the other side. Not just critiquing, but positively engaging. That means 80% of people want unity. They long for something better than what exists. But what happens on the news is the radical extremes on both ends get the microphone and they dominate the conversation. Most people are not like that. Apparently, statistically, the latest polls indicate that 80% want something different. They're longing for renewal. So we long politically. We long relationally. 60% of Americans report extreme ongoing loneliness. There's a relational deficit that even before the pandemic, that was the pandemic before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, the UK had to appoint its first minister of loneliness because of the amount of people dealing with loneliness. No, it's not in Harry Potter, it's in real life. The Minister of Loneliness. We long for renewal personally. Over 
over 60% of the people are struggling with daily stress and anxiousness. That's not clinical anxiety, that's just anxiousness. You wake up and just something's not right. You go throughout your day and things are just not right, you're stressed. And so, but we don't need to look too far out. I think when we look out at the world and we look in our hearts, we see that. We see the global pandemic, warfare, corruption, all of the above that just drives our angst. Sociologists have now determined that we are a culture that if somebody were to step in and have not ever had any context with the U.S., they would be able to say definitively that the mark of, of American society is angst. Angst. That's what sociologists are now calling our culture. We are a culture of angst. So we long for renewal at every corner from the globe into our hearts. And this is the reason God steps into humanity in Jesus and sends his followers because things are not well. And apart from God's intervention, we wither. The sending of the 12 here is saying we are reversing what is withering in Christ. We are reversing what is withering in Christ and bringing renewal. Leads us to our second thing. The second point, if you take a notes, it's on the second line. Finding renewal in the kingdom. This is about what is God up to and what is God doing about the problems that we are facing. Well, in the text, Jesus and the disciples are making cultural waves that capture the, atten the attention of Herod Antipas. Now, Herod, this is a king-like leader. He's recovering from dad's very poor reign. His dad is the one who had a lot of babies killed. The day he died, he appointed 70, I believe, priests to be uh, executed so that there would be mourning on the day he died rather than celebration of his death. He was sick. He was twisted. Um, and now Herod's been trying to rule in a different way, but still not in a godly fashion. But Herod is, this Herod has united people. He's finally getting some traction. Things seem to be going well, but he hears whispers of another power that's doing what he can't seem to get done. And it's threatening. Why? Because true renewal happens not by the Herods, but by King Jesus and his kingdom. That's what this is about. Go proclaim the good news of the kingdom. The minute this language is shouted is the minute that the, the, the powers that be are nervous. Just think, you finally got to where you are. You finally have the power in your hands and things are going well and you hear somebody off in the distance is coming. I want to see this man. What are these whispers of renewal that I'm hearing? So in our time, we often turn to the Herods. And let me be clear, good political leaders are good things. It's a good thing to have good leaders. But no matter how hard we try, the good thing can never become the ultimate thing. No matter what context we're in, Scripture says you're in exile. Even if you're in a prosperous and well-established well society, you're still in exile. We'll never be able to feel comfortable as followers of Jesus. But we cannot in any way bank on the Herods. Herods come and they go. But often people are let down. It took Biden three weeks before his people were already let down by him. It took Trump three weeks before people were already criticizing that he wasn't fulfilling his promise. If you go back and you do the research, the exit polling on presidents, none of them left without their extreme critics within their own party. What was promised was not delivered in many ways. And that's the consistent thing we find. 
it's a, it's a it's a longing that we have that is only found in the kingdom. The kingdom had the, the kingdom that has been moved forward has crossed cultures, history, various governing contexts. It's unique in its survival. It's amazing. This kingdom of God. But we tend to run to Herod's and when we need to turn to the king Jesus. But what is the kingdom? It's often vague language. What is the kingdom? Simply, it's God's rule and reign. It's that simple. It's God's rule and reign. It's living under the rule and reign of God and finding out what God is up to in the world and joining him. We step into the kingdom when we acknowledge Jesus as king and then align our entire hearts with him. What I love is that Jesus' first words in the gospel of Mark is repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom is at hand. His first words. There is no kingdom without repentance and belief. We'll cover that in a minute. But there is an entry point into this kingdom that is offered to all. So what is the kingdom like? I love Romans 14, 15, 14, 17. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those things that we crave so much, joy, peace, goodness. That's what it's like when we live in the kingdom of God, when we are open and full surrender to the way of Jesus, when we are obedient, when he says, just go, just go. The anchor for finding our sense of renewal will not be found in anywhere else but the kingdom. To find renewal, we must realize that it's not found in any earthly kingdom but in Jesus's. And so the question has to be asked, on what am I leaning for my sense of joy, peace, and sense of goodness? And often the daily anxiousness that we experience is a warning sign by the Spirit letting you know that what you're leaning on may not be meant to support you. There may be something you're leaning on that's giving out because it could never do what the kingdom is meant to do in your life. Support you fully in your goodness, joy, and peace. Last thing. Experiencing renewal in the kingdom. So we know that we long for renewal. We know that we find renewal in the kingdom. This is the message he gave his disciples. But how do we experience it? I don't know about you, but that's often where I've stopped short. We can talk about the kingdom all day long, but I always want to know what's the practical way to experience this. Well, in the text, the central motif is mission. And so participating in what God is up to, and we have to understand mission is not just going to church. Mission is being the church, which is a vehicle for the kingdom of God. But again, I know that language is loaded and can be burdensome. The church, I often say at, our, at the table that the church has often turned the Great Commission into the Great Guilt Trip. And it's lost what it's actually meant to be. The burden is light. The burden is light. Now, we may not be going around healing people on a daily basis. It would be phenomenal if we had, if we had that. But we do learn a couple of things about what mission does look like. And when we make these daily rhythms of our lives, we find out that it's actually quite, the burden is light and life-giving and joy. In 
And so just before we move into those, when we find ourselves disconnected from what God is doing, our sense of fullness will always be incomplete because we are designed to be partners with God in what he's up to. And if we're not partners with God in what he's up to, there's no way our sense of meaning, fullness, joy, renewal will come. We are wired to be to find what's out what's to find out what's important to God and make it important to us. And until that's the case, our joy and renewal will be incomplete. Not empty, not empty, but incomplete. You'll find those flickering moments of satisfaction and joy and happiness only for the next day to be wondering, where'd it go? It'll be incomplete. So what are these things here? Well, a couple of practices. This is a pilot test. Remember, this is the pilot group. Okay, I want you guys to go practice these things. Practice trust. Practice trust. Belief is not just a cognitive thing. It's an embodied thing. In fact, when Jesus says repent and believe the gospel, the word believe is actually, the idea is more of an allegiance, an active allegiance to God. How do you show your allegiance to someone? By committing and devoting on a regular daily basis. And so there's this allegiance that is, that, that is uh, connected to trust. And he says, take nothing, nothing. This means that we have to position ourselves in places where we are fully dependent upon God. Because here's the thing, if they went with everything they needed, then nothing about their message is appealing because everything they, have, they already have everything they need. That's the thing. We like to be fully loaded and ready before we take a step. That is, that often conspires against trust. And we don't know it. Jesus, take nothing because the power of your witness is going to be seeing them seeing you dependent upon me. Take nothing. It's part of their witness. The next one is practicing presence. 60% of our country is saying, I am lonely. Many of us in this room are probably saying, I'm lonely. And you can be lonely together. This is why practicing presence is important. Not just being present, but practicing presence. What do I mean by this? Well, Jesus says in the text, whatever house you go to, stay there and then leave from there. This is an old kind of idiom in the language to say, when you go, don't look around for the next best thing. Commit to where you're staying and remain there until it's time to leave. Don't go look for the next best thing is what Jesus is saying. Stay. Stay. Go do, go be present and receive the hospitality. You see, in this culture, it was expected that they would be hospitable. And if they didn't receive you, you moved on. But when somebody did receive you, you saw that as an, as an opportunity that God was already there at work. That the fact that they received you, the fact that they heard you, the fact that they were listening to you means that God's already at work. So stay there. Practicing presence. Why is this important? Well, scholar James Edwards, he says this, The gospel is rightly propagated, not by campaigning, crusading, or conquering, but within the context of relationships defined by mutual trust and sharing. Trust in the sending Jesus includes trust in the receiving communities to which Jesus sends the disciples. Practicing presence. But not here's how you practice it. 
I want you to think about your interactions with people this week, the week before, the week before, maybe even during the election cycle. I want you to just think about your presence among people. Would you describe your presence among people as a renewing presence? What language were you using? What were the aims of your conversation? I think we all know what it's like to have people in our lives that weigh us down. They're not a renewing presence. They're an exhausting presence. When Jesus is sending his disciples into these homes, he's saying, I want you to reverse. I want you to renew what's withering. Be a different tone. The tone of the moment was rebellion against the empire. That was the tone of the cultural moment. He's saying, be present and patient. Be a renewing presence. Bring that into your discussions. I've had to practice a, a lot of this with folks over the last several months. I've, when I'm meeting with people, they'll, they'll nine times out of ten I want to talk about the political situation. I'll let them can, go on for five, ten minutes or so. And I just shift the conversation and say, how are your, how are your kids? How are your, how's your wife? How's work? How's your heart? How's your soul? Those are practical things we can do to move the conversation in a renewing direction. And what I'm finding is that the most anxious people I meet with have no rhythm of presence. No rhythm of presence with God or others. There's no daily rhythm of prayer. There's no daily rhythm of scripture. There's, no daily, there's a daily rhythm of posting. But there's not a daily rhythm of prayer with God. Now, none of you struggle with that, I know. So. The last one is this. The last way we can practically experience renewal is practice sharing the gospel and serving. We often say when we are present with people, now remember, he's talking to people who are, the, the people they're going to are predominantly Jewish population, and so they're talking to people they'd feel more comfortable with. But Jesus says, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. This is a question we often ask. At what point do I need to move on? At what point do I need to not be present? At what point do, well, Jesus says it right here. So long as they'll receive you, stay put. We, we put it the other way. We say, well, if they don't, if they don't say yes immediately, then I'm going to go ahead and move on. No, that's, that's treating people like projects, not as people in need of love and the patience and grace of God. God's patience and kindness leads us to repentance, not his forceful, coercive, power dynamic message. God's patience and kindness leads us to repentance. And so this is what he's saying. So long as they receive you, stay with them. If they get to the point where they say you're no longer welcome here, move on peacefully. But we always say, well, they didn't receive, so therefore I'm going to go. I've got a couple of guys I meet with who are atheists, and these are fun conversations. I meet with them probably once a month. Once a month. And uh, I, just, I just try to be present and like respond and, and talk through their questions, and it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a fun time. But I've had to wrestle with the question, okay, is this ever going to change? Is this ever going to, are they ever actually going to respond? Are they ever going to follow? Am I ever going to get through to them? Am I ever going to? And consistently I have the temptation to say, I just, I don't have any more bandwidth. But they're still open to me. They're still meeting. They're still hanging out. They're still showing up. So as long as they'll receive me, my mandate from Jesus is to remain. This is a paradigm shift from evangelicalism in America. What would it look like to remain with people who don't know Jesus? Practice sharing and serving. You see, the message 
is that life with Jesus begins and brings the renewal you crave. This is, in many ways, you can say this. But when my friends are upset at justice, the injustice in the world, well, how's your political candidate working it out? They're not really. You long for something beyond. There's a, there's a, there's a longing behind the longing for your justice. There's a longing behind the longing for your, for your sense of emptiness. It's found in Jesus. We practice sharing the gospel. When's the last, just think about it. When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? And what did it sound like? How did it go? This is a practice. It is a practice, and it is a hard practice. But watch when you share the gospel. Watch your sense of renewal get excited. Guaranteed. They were sharing the gospel, and they were serving. And again, the entrance was repentance. This is a message that's often lost on the church today is you need to repent. You need to repent. It's not a sexy word. It's not meant to be. It is a complete change in orientation. Uh, we often hear it say that it's change your mind. No, it's changing the way you see reality and then living in that new reality. It's called being born again. And being born again means you're going to be clumsy at first like a toddler. You're going to slip. You're going to fall. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do it for a long time. You're going to have to learn to walk again, talk again, think again, live again. That's why we need to be patient with ourselves and each other as we become more like Jesus. But there's no entrance without repentance. According to Jesus, the reorientation of the way we see life and then living into that. But there's also no renewal or life without serving. Did you know that before the, uh, Christianity was legal in the empire, uh, Around in the 300s, it was legalized. It's not hard to explain the rapid growth of Christianity once it was legalized. That's not hard. In fact, Constantine forced conversions on people. And uh, that's not, you don't get taught that in a lot of places, but that, that's what, that, it's not hard to explain the rapid growth. But it's really hard to explain. Sociologists struggle with the expansive growth before that time. How it went from 120 to 6 million in 280 years Sociologists have really struggled. Some have said this was the movement that should have never survived. It was started the wrong way with the testimony of women. It was started with the wrong message. No one desired a bodily resurrection. That was antithetical to any movement. They didn't desire that. There was no craving for that. The idea was to escape the body, not re-enter it. No religion believed that. The message was weird. The orientation was weird. The, the start was weird. All of it shouldn't have survived, sociologists say. We can't make sense of it. The persuasiveness, though, one, one non-Christian sociologist says was their acts of mercy, their service. And we see it here, heal the sick. That takes forms in many ways, not just touch, you're healed. That takes form in many ways. And we see that in the early church. When the first big plague came along, all of the physicians, all of the doctors, all of the philosophers left Rome. Thousands died. Christians stayed behind and aided these sick people who were formally persecuting them. That's how the kingdom expanded across the empire. That was the mysterious invisible ferment that really led to the flourishing. Was their service, their word and deed. What good are your words without deeds? I mean, did, when you got married, did you stop at the altar and just say, yeah, I do, and that was enough? No, you live a life that reflects the allegiance to your spouse in the same way we live a life that reflects the allegiance 
to our king. Activity is important. It doesn't save you. It's on the other side of salvation, though. Rodney Stark says this. The moral climate, by the way. Mercy was considered weakness. Mercy was considered for, for lowly, lowly people. It was considered a motion that needed to be restrained because it's not good for society. That was what the philosophers at this time said. But this is what Rodney Stark, a sociologist, says. This was the moral climate in which Christianity taught that mercy is one of the primary virtues, that a merciful God requires humans to be merciful. Moreover, I lost my, lost my train of thought, that, that because God loves humanity, Christians may not please God unless they love one another was even more compatible with pagan convictions. Did you know love your enemy is uniquely Christian? It doesn't exist prior to. But he goes on to say, but the truly revolutionary principle was that Christian love and charity must extend beyond the boundaries of family and even those of faith to all in need. You want to find yourself renewed? Position yourself around people who need and begin to help them along and watch your own soul grow. Watch your, watch your renewal, sense of renewal deepen. It's addicting to be in a spot where you're aiding people in the likeness of Jesus when you're partnering with God in that way. And so how do we, how, what do we do now? We have to position ourselves in places where these things happen. If you want to see the renewing presence of God happen, you have to go to spaces where, it's, where there's withering. This happens not just in mission, but across across all areas of life. If you want to see your marriage renewed, you have to admit that it's withering. You have to go to that withering space. If you want to call out an injustice, you have to call it an injustice before it moves on to justice. We always have to acknowledge the withering, and we always have to position ourselves where there's withering if we are to see renewal. You don't just go to your garden and all of a sudden beauty's popping up. You've got to till the soil. You've got to dig. You've got to replant. You've got to sweat in this god-awful weather right now. It is hard work. If you want to see the sick healed, you have to place yourself among the sick. If you want to see people saved, you have to position yourself around the lost. This is the challenge that Jesus sends. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, who am I in this text? Where am I in this text? Am I a disciple that's being sent? Am I in a good place with my relationship with Jesus and I need to be moving? Or am I the one in need of good news? Am I just in a season of bad news and I need the gospel proclaimed to me? That God will renew me by the power of his spirit as I surrender and open myself up to him? Or am I Herod? Am I fearful of what the rule and reign of Jesus in my life might mean? See, whispers of renewal become a reality when we are renewed by Jesus and become his agents of renewal through the kingdom of God as his people. How do I get renewed? Find out what's important to God and make it important to you. Look at your calendar. Is there any space for the Holy Spirit? Is there any space for God in that? The tone of my conversations, where do those go? How am I treating those closest to me? Find out what areas are withering and step into that place and watch the Holy Spirit begin to renew. Amen? Amen.
Let's pray, and then we'll just take a few moments to take communion, and then I'll release you with a little benediction. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Renew us. As David says, renew in me a right spirit by your, by your Holy Spirit. Help us realize that the mission you've given us, the burden is light. It's not weightless, but it is light. And that those who are here, you are wanting to breathe life into them. Encourage them to trust you, to step out into areas where only you will help them survive. To places where they are taking nothing. God, put them in positions where they are with people, sharing the gospel and serving the needs. And God, we ask that they practice presence with you and with one another. I thank you for this church family. Bless them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to just take a few moments, um, if you feel led, ready, uh, you can transition over to communion. And I'll pray in about three, about two to three minutes. And uh, you guys are good to go.